For the military, nothing much happens without good requirements. My next guest is the Air Warfare Requirements Coordinator for the Navy. His work earned him a Defense Acquisition Workforce Award. This is the first of a series of interviews this week, all Defense Department civilians from this latest round. And now the Navy's Vic Steinman joins me. Mr. Steinman, good to have you on. Uh, Good morning, sir. Well, let's begin with what you do. What is an Air Warfare Requirements Coordinator, and what does the work entail? In the OPNAV staff, which is largely responsible in the Title X authorities, as you know, for organize, train, equip, uh, we have responsibilities both fiduciary and we invest a lot of human capital in the management of resources and allocation and the planning and programming and budgeting cycle. We have an equivalent responsibility that is the part that I play that represents the requirement, and I tend to say the valid progression of deliberate requirements to support whatever we have the responsibility to resource. Because the Navy, you know, has planes and it has ships and so forth, and Mm -hmm. you're concerned with what flies because it's air warfare requirements. Is this something that is done annually, the rolling up of these requirements, or how does it get to the point where the requirements are established? It's actually a daily job, and it has several degrees of kind of depth or outlook. In terms of just programs in air warfare, pretty much from air-to-ground weapons, air-to-air weapons, flying platforms, both fixed-wing and rotary-wing, up to and including aircraft carriers, it spans mainly the programs that we have isolated uh, to the directorate up in air warfare. And my daily job or kind of responsibilities here are to assist as part of a matrixed workforce to support all requirements officers and their branches across those platforms. Is this then episodically based? In other words, if there is a training exercise coming up or if there is a ship, a carrier, say, that is to deploy, then the elements involved with carrying that out would need to know what their requirements are in terms of fuel and people and other equipment and maintenance supplies and so on. And that somehow comes all through you, then gets translated into something that's meaningful for acquisition. That role and responsibilities are generally begin with our type command, So our commander Naval Air Forces has responsible for the day-to-day operations and up to including most of those things that would be inside the POM. At the service staff here, the requirements that we look at are the enhancement, improvement, or modification of current programs that need to stay relevant across the spectrum and what investments we would make with our acquisition partners uh, smartly to keep those things pacing threats, and also um, really the development of any new requirements. So as new or platforms are replaced or software hardware solutions are invoked at whatever scale, they're written in what we term as a deliberate fashion. Uh, You may have heard of the JSIDS system, the Joint Capability Integration Development System, which is really a rubric that lays out kind of a methodical stepwise process to capture, convey, and validate requirements that are then met with the appropriate resources over the uh, introduction, fielding, and operations of any platform. So, for example, if a new type of weapon update was introduced, 
to put on the bottom of an airplane wing, for example, I'm just making this up, that could translate into lots of details that have to be thought of by your group, such as how it disengages the bolts, all of the little electromechanical parts that turn that into a reality so that it's actually operational. Those are all requirements, right? A hundred percent. That's exactly right, Tom. And, and actually where we capture as the sponsor in the validated requirements document, they're at a level that's just a fidelity, that's just a bit higher than where you're at. That serves as a great umbrella document that really in a broad way determines what the item will do, about when or how we would field it in a time, and then what are the total life cycle costs. Those documents become the statutory introduction to the acquisition community, and then a good program manager takes that and they derive little r's we call them, or many, many multitudes of smaller requirements that meet the larger requirement and ultimately go out as contract specification and deliverables from our valued partners in industry. We're speaking with Vic Steinman. He's Air Warfare Requirements Coordinator for the Navy. And uh, by the way, I congratulate anyone who can keep their equilibrium living within the palm cycle, because that's something beyond most people's ability to be patient through. But how did you get this award? A specific project that you did that caught the attention of the uppers? I'm a little lost to answer that question. I have had a long career in active duty and government employment, and this one took me a little bit by surprise. We do have lots of current initiatives that are going. I could dabble on that a little bit, but I have to take just a moment to give a shout out to the individual that I learned from, James Mongo Rowley. It took me about two years in the saddle here of the last 10 to really gain a kind of an insight in how to look at requirements and the value of words. But I I would suggest that there's just so much that crosses the plate, and it's really a treat for me, believe it, it's not work, to come in and take and to be a support asset for new requirements officers because our active duty uh, folks, they come and go through here on 24, 36-month cycles. And uh, it's just a really great partnering we have up there. And to be of some uh, help or assistance with them, because a lot of this stuff is very new to them as they enter the building, it's, it's really been a real pleasure. Well, maybe give us an example of a new program or a new system that resulted in these, as you put it, high-fidelity requirements. Maybe walk us through a recent project so we can get some idea of what you do do. I can topically maybe list several things that are in play that have recently uh, been uh, uh, met some modicum of success. Right now, we've just kind of in the throes of finishing and getting out for review a requirements document for a hypersonic air-launched weapon. We also have in play, that's a deliberate acquisition and a deliberate requirement generation. We're working in other vehicles like a software initial capabilities document for a new planning system in kind of a planning continuum. We used to plan missions and get them uploaded into aircraft and network them. Uh, Now we're looking more at the planning and the conduct of the mission and the debrief in a new architecture. Also, another software ICD where we're looking at capturing the requirements that might develop largely the software 
uh, an effort we call autonomy that might move us into a kind of a crawl, walk, run in our manned, unmanned, or crewed and uncrewed teaming to reap the benefits of that, so a software development effort. A lot of the things we do, I've assisted in, 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 in fact, new development. Um, we try to, I try to look for things that are available as answers without jumping to new development, and, in, and oftentimes we look for answers that might be available without an extraordinarily expensive and lengthy development period. One that was has proved to be a great success was repurposing V-22 aircraft, which the Marine Corps had had great success with, and which the Navy, we in 98, did a document to embrace that airplane as a replacement for the carrier onboard delivery aircraft. And it's, it's working, and it's working well. We've done that with training aircraft as well. H-57 uh, helicopter was sure. just an incredibly duty airplane. And we, we, we've replaced it with a commercially derived airplane without developmental costs. So does that mean that the long-sought dream of everyone who's ever been on a carry-on-board aircraft will have a window to look out of? <laughs> I'm going to stop short of that, sir. Uh, and I'll, but I'd have to validate that one. That's a great question. I'm not, I'm not going to commit. Well, that's the requirement I would put in, but I don't have an authority <laughs> over these things. But it sounds like you really derive great satisfaction from the work you do. I really do. Um, it might be, I hope it's not strange to say, but it is incredibly rewarding to come back and be with a lot of the, 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 the people here that, uh, you know, not. it seems like not that many years ago I was in that position. And it is wonderful to, in some small way, impart a little bit of assistance. And knowing full well I'd walked that ground before and... Uh, so in that part, yeah, it is very satisfying. Yeah, so having been on active duty, as you indicate, if I'm correct, then you kind of know what it's like to live with the things that come out of requirements, and now you get a chance to influence them at the front end. That's a fact, and I, I just have to be very clear, though. I, I'm the first one to say that my opinion, while maybe interesting me, should not matter, and I... <laughs> I really Understood. try to use the the prudent uh, analysis and, and seek that. But you're exactly right. It is nice to participate in that. Vic Steinman is Air Warfare Requirements Coordinator for the Navy and a recipient of a 2022 Defense Acquisition Workforce Award. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, sir, and thanks for the opportunity. And we'll post this interview along with a list of all of the winners at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the podcast version of the Federal Drive wherever you get your shows. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, Visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL 
was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought, well, you know, I'll take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information, and lo and behold, I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the stage or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from from their last competition, and they're so committed, and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs and 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 I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that. Uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working the Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so. Uh, joyful and and uh, yeah, I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics no one's excluded 
you know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yep. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, uh, and and the thing that that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be uh, it's not just school age it's it's uh, you know we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams uh, bowl together golf together play soccer basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.